Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. This is your host, Jenny Wise. And today I am joined by principal analyst on the customer experience team, TJ Kitt. Hey, TJ. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for joining today. We're going to talk about some new research that was recently published that introduces a new type of customer to consider to help companies prioritize which CX improvements to make. So on this week's episode, we'll be answering the question, who is this new valuable customer segment? And what is the business case for focusing on this group of customers when prioritizing CX improvement efforts? And then on next week, we'll talk about how brands and companies and teams can use this concept to identify these customers in their organization and work on their strategy. And I think this is an interesting question because as CX pros, we spend a lot of time thinking about how to improve the customer experience, get to know different personas, different customers, come up with new products and services to sort of satisfy their needs and what they value. And with this customer mindset, is it okay to say we're just not going to please all of our customers and sort of strive to offer the best CX to everyone? So maybe that's the first question today. Is it okay to say that? Well, I, I guess I would put a, a little bit of a, uh, a of a nuance on what you're saying. I, I think you should try to please everybody, but I don't think you have to please everyone equally. Mm. I think that there is a difference in what you need to do to keep some customers over others. And so the, the point of this research and, and kind of how we work our way into it is by saying that from the perspective of the business, not all customers are equally valuable. Right. And because not all customers are equally valuable, and given that you have limited resources as an organization, you can't invest all of your time and energy in delivering the same experience to all customers. So what you need to do is you need to figure out, I guess, what the bullseye is that you're trying to hit. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is, where are there customers that fit what it is to a T that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And do those customers who fit you to a T actually generate a lot of value for your business? And when we talk about value in this you know, construct, what we're really talking about is the things that we ultimately try to assess in our customer experience index. So can you keep these customers? And as a consequence of keeping them, can you get more money out of them? And as part of getting more money out of them, can you leverage them to help you attract other good customers? Because, you know, they'll either advocate for you or they'll demonstrate a lifestyle or an aspiration that those other prospects would like to either live up to in terms of a lifestyle or achieve in terms of an aspiration. The the proper way to think about this is that there is a basic experience a minimum experience, if you will, that everyone should get. And that minimum experience shouldn't be terrible. Mm -hmm. That minimum experience should not discourage people from wanting to invest their time and their energy into becoming a better customer and potentially filling all of the attributes that would ultimately make them a bullseye customer. You know, this is really a plea to understand what it is that you that you do for your customers and understand how valuable that particular value that you deliver to them you know, is to your business. 
what is this the reciprocity that's associated you know with delivering value to your customer does it net you more customers does it net you more money does it net you more market prestige does it net you a broader partner ecosystem and so those are the things that we're we're trying to you know, kind of sort out in this research yeah and i think that's interesting because you've touched on a, f- a few things there right there's understanding as a company what it is that you do and the value you deliver and then trying to find the right fit right for the customer for what you do and what you can offer and then there's understanding what that right fit gives you when that person becomes a really sort of avid and loyal customer of yours is there an example that you have or that you can share which shows maybe when this doesn't work or when this does work what it looks like for the company yeah. So in the, the report, it, you know, we talk about a company that you and I have discussed before, which is Borders. So if you think about what Borders thought of itself, it thought of itself as this really comprehensive bookstore. And, you know, they built these superstores, you know, which is a very mm-hmm. 1990s concept, you know, where you could get popular books, you could get obscure books, you could get magazines, you could get movies, you could get um, CDs, you could get um, coffee, all in one, all in one go, you know, one trip. And they thought that that was the thing that was valuable, that the individuals who liked buying books and liked reading books overlapped in a perfect circle with those who really liked going to book superstores. The problem with that is the underlying value that they delivered was the comprehensive inventory of books that people could buy delivered in a way that was convenient at the moment. So prior to e-commerce and prior to, you know, rapid delivery of things, you know, from centralized warehouses made possible by e-commerce, you know, the, the best way to buy a book especially if you wanted it quickly, was to go to a bookstore. The moment that that became a less appealing prospect because there were viable alternatives in the marketplace, Borders saw a separation between the group of people who liked buying books and reading books and the people who really liked going to bookstores. So that as e-commerce options took away those customers who just liked reading and buying books, from that pool of people who like going to bookstores, it reduced Borders' you know, kind of addressable market down to this rump of customers who really liked it, who you know, ensured that Borders you know, continued to have really good scores and a number of customer experience benchmarks. But while they were racking up these great scores and you know, customer experience benchmarks, they were posting record losses. So in 2011, the last year that they were in business, they were a top performer in the American Customer Satisfaction Index. And they also point, posted a more than $200 million loss. And so that was the end of their business. But that's kind of the issue. Like the issue is you kind of have to understand what it is that you do for your customers, point one. Point two, you have to understand whether or not that thing that you want to do for your customers and that you do for your customers is the thing that your customers value. And then point three is you have to understand whether or not that thing that you do for your customers and that some group of your customers find valuable is sufficient to keep the business afloat. If Borders had understood that their underlying value Mm. was the convenience of the acquisition of books, then they would have decoupled 
their model from the superstore. They would have said, you know, we have this great inventory system, right. uh, which is what allowed them to create superstores. And they said, we'll just port that online. And they could have, you know, headed off Amazon before Amazon really got going because they would have you know, been able to transition to that spot. Now, obviously, this is hindsight and it's easier said than done in transitioning business models. But that's but this is kind of the underlying point. Like it's the underlying point is if you right. believe that the yeah. thing that the product that's most popular for, that you have for you right now is the thing that you do, then it's going to be really hard to, to meet and move with changing customer habits. If that sounds familiar. That's because this research does spring out of the same conversation that we had mm-hmm. a year ago when we were talking about, or a couple of years ago, I guess now, when we were talking about, you know, customer habits and you know how you stay on top of customer habits. Great. I love that borders example because it really ties together sort of all of those themes that you mentioned, right? What is the value you think you're delivering? Who are you delivering it to? And is that going to net positive results to your business? Because you could be chasing a great customer experience score, but it might not actually be translating into sales, right? Because there's some other disconnection going on there. Right. And, and so when you, you know, the, the other part of that you asked about was like, you know, what's a good example? You know, people get tired of hearing about it, but you know, the people who do done this calculus the best probably are, you know, people like Amazon. So what's a prime customer? By their own description, prime customer is a customer around which they built a moat. You know, this is this is a customer who gets what it is that Amazon does, likes what it is that Amazon does, buys into the value proposition, but does so in a way that is valuable to Amazon. And it starts with the fact that prime customers are willing to pay Amazon $119 every year for the privilege of being a prime customer. That in and of itself is a pretty strong signal that Amazon has, has zeroed in on a very productive part of their customer base. And that's before you even get into facts like prime customers kind of spend on average two times more than every other Amazon customer, or that the, the very nature of a prime customer is meant to flow with the very fluid notion of what Amazon is. You know, Amazon at its core, per their, their annual report, is, is simply a, an mm-hmm. outfit that delivers um, a large inventory in a price competitive and convenient way. That's, if that's all it is, you know, it's just it's convenience mixed with inventory and price, then a, num- a number of things can be put against that. The first thing that Prime did was it appeal to convenience. If you really want convenience, pay us money to have even more convenience than you had before. But then it started to move into other things like the extent of the inventory, you know, what's available to Prime customers, for example. Well, Prime customers have more inventory to choose from because you can start to rent movies, for example, or you can do storage, which is more inventory, if you will. And then it moved into other things like price. You know, so there are specials that are that are available only to prime customers. And so you can actually begin to pull in broader numbers of the customer base, you know, because you're appealing to different mm-hmm. elements of the value proposition that are fundamental to the relationship that that customer has with you. So you've got people in there that are mostly there because they like the extensions of the inventory. You've got people in there that are there strictly for, you know, the convenience part of it. And you've got people there that are, you know, they're mostly for the price part of it. And so you've built a moat around a bunch of different types of customer that all have kind of this line that kind of runs through them that they all really bought in to various elements of the value proposition. And they demonstrate that enthusiasm for it by basically paying a fee. Yeah, right. And those prime customers, as you just described them, 
sort of exemplify what you mentioned of this sort of two-way value exchange. Right. Right. Amazon is benefiting a lot. These Prime members are spending more money. They're also paying for the privilege. But those Prime members see the benefit so much that they're willing to do that and they're enthusiastic to do it. So when we think about these Prime customers, you know, we started with the question of what customer should you focus on? It sounds like for Amazon, these Prime customers are a good target. How should other companies think about who their prime customers are? And is there a name for this type of customer? Uh, yeah, well, funny you should ask because I, I, you were instrumental in naming them, but uh, we refer to them as uh, devotees or devotees or however you want to pronounce it. I you know, honestly don't care. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the... It makes sense. The meaning makes so much sense. The pronunciation is yeah, a little more. Yeah, yeah, however you choose to pronounce it, that's up to you. Kind of the general point is that, uh, you know, what you're, what you're searching for are the people, first and foremost, who are in the bullseye. So if I take one big giant step back, you know, this is just the first customer group that we're thinking about. You know, there's a lot that we want to explore here in terms of the different concentric circles that you get into outside of this bullseye. But if you're talking about just kind of the people who are squarely in target for you as a, mm-hmm. as a company. The question then you know, becomes, who are your most devoted customers, i.e., who are the devotees? And so when we, we started exploring this concept of you know, who your most defensible customers are, we actually kind of you know, played with some of the ideas that I was you know, discussing when we were talking about prime customers. Basically, you know, can, you def- can you build a customer base that is at once really valuable to you, but also highly defensible because you have done things to create a really strong sense of loyalty with them so that they are not easily pried away. The problem with borders is that they thought they had a lot of devotees that were valuable. And the, what it turned out was that they had a lot of devotees who were not all that valuable because they represented mm-hmm. a unprofitable subset of the customers that they were really trying to turn into to devotees. You know, the, the question is, you know, who are these people that sit in the bullseye? and who we can defend and we can build a moat around so that we can't be easily disrupted. What you're looking for are people who have, distri- who have exhibited what our colleague Emily Collins refers to as a kind of blind loyalty. And our, our definition of these individuals, you know, these are customers who um, exhibit you know, several characteristics. One, they are willing to go out of their way to do business with you. So they're willing to inconvenience themselves. Now that's important because, you know, especially if we're talking about now, the, you know, these COVID times, most things are an inconvenience. And so you may change things a fair bit to better meet whatever regulations you have to meet, as well as, you know, just to kind of face business reality. And so there are customers who are willing to go along with you on that and who are willing to go out of their way to keep doing business with you. They're gonna be the people who help sustain you through this, this process. Also inconvenience is part of experimentation. So if you want to start delivering new things mm-hmm. to people, these are the people who are going to be cool with the experiment. Second, you know, these are the individuals who are willing to pay a premium to do business with you. So that gets you squarely into the idea of an Amazon Prime customer. They are paying a premium to do business with Amazon, that which is, you know, <laughs> in many respects, you know, kind of a, it's an interesting thing, but you know, given the, the, the premium they're charging, it's one of those things where if you're not a prime right. customer, you're scratching your head as to, you know, what could possibly be worth, you know, paying that premium. But for the, the devoted customer, you know, they're demonstrating to you that there are other sources of revenue associated with even better experiences that you could deliver to people who are already inclined 
to provide money for your uh, your time and, and your energy in serving them. The third thing that we're that we look at is you know, you know how likely it is that you're able to retain the business of these individuals. You know, these are individuals who are going to stick around. I mean, they've already exhibited the ability or the willingness to inconvenience themselves. They've exhibited the willingness to pay a premium to keep doing business with you. It follows that if they're willing to do these things, they're willing to remain your customer, which kind of provides that uh, that foundation you know, to allow for you to build off of them as opposed to continuously worry about having to keep them in the fold. And they're, they're also willing to spend more money. So they provide the upsell cross-sell opportunities. So this is you know, separate from the notion of paying the premium, this is kind of the concept of, you know, just in general, I bought X amount with you, you know, this time I will buy X amount plus or times, you know, this other number this next time around, which, you know, again, kind of helps with growth because as we know, just in general from, you know, just general business study, you know, where you're going to generate your most profitability in terms of, you know, kind of growth in the and revenue is through growing existing customers, growing the relationship with existing customers. And so these are the customers that exhibit those growth opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so if you can if you can find customers, you know, that begin to float in this general area, you know, where you know they are exhibiting a lot of loyalty in terms of you know kind of their their willingness to go along with you on a number of things. And they're also willing to stay with you and give you more money. You know, that becomes a group that is interesting to look at because they provide opportunity. They provide opportunity to find out what your value proposition is. So what do you do for these people to actually make them so loyal to you? And then how do we take what we've done for them as kind of a a marker for what it is that people take away from our experience and figure out what is the fundamental version of that? What is the baseline that we should be building off of that to ensure that we capture people who are devotee adjacent and the people who are here simply because they're transactional. Because we want to make sure that we keep all of those people because they all account for our revenue. But you know, we want to make sure that we're building it off of core of our customers who are actually generating a lot of money for us and who are generating a lot of enthusiasm for us in the market. Right. That makes sense. And I actually you just touched on sort of the different different types of segments, right? So the devotees really matter, but you do want to consider who these other types of customers that you have are not lose sight of them, right? right? But make you are really homing in on what makes your company so great to the devotees. How can you leverage this group to inform your strategy and to continue to grow revenue too? So it's not to forsake everyone else, but to really home in on this group to see what you can do for them and and they can do in return. TJ, thank you so much for joining to share this research that I think is really cool and puts a different actionable lens on who a company's valuable customers are. And then listeners, if you're interested and also found this really cool and interesting and want to know more about what actions to take next, tune in to next week's episode where TJ is joining again and we'll look at that very question. So how can you find your devotees and use insights into this customer base to help your CX strategy? And if you want to see the research that this episode and next week's episode mentions, uh, please check out the notes section where we will include a link to the report, which is titled, Delight the Right Customers to Build a Successful Business. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you next week.